basically a Christmas song. That is The Smiths and the track, frankly, Mr Shankly from the album The Queen is Dead. I wonder if she's done the uh, speech yet. Anyway, this is David Eastall. This is The C86 Show. Welcome once again to another thrilling ride of life, as I'll be bringing you songs you know, some you don't, and some you should. As always, I'll be crossing time, space and genre with the finest in indie pop. And this week's special guest, because we always like one, is Barry Adamson, because I caught up with him um, a few weeks or months ago, who knows, who cares, um, to find out more about life, love and poetry. Yes, he, who was a musician, composer, writer, filmmaker and photographer and also member of magazine Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds as long alongside loads of other work and um, has got a prolific solo career and done lots of soundtracks for the likes of David Lynch. So I've got that interview alongside the usual award-worthy playlist but I think we'll start with your favourite and mine. This is magazine and shot by both sides. <laughs> Of course, but with my way into the heart of the crowd. 
magazine the track shot by both sides and that's from their 1978 album my god that seems a bit amazing actually 40 years titled real life and that was written by the one and only howard devoto and also pete shelley yes of buzzcocks fame the late pete shelley a sad moment indeed and um yes that brings the party down doesn't it anyway this is david Eastall. this is the c86 show and this week's special guest is going to be bassist and musician and photographer filmmaker etc etc barry adamson because i caught up with him to find out more about life love poetry and all that kind of groovy stuff as well as the career in music it's a fantastic interview i have to say so um i've got that interview that i'm going to break up into about three easy to digest little segments for your enjoyment for the rest of the show so um hold on to your seats it's going to blow your mind but anyway i think we'll play another track featuring the one and only barry on bass as they say well they don't at all actually that's just me but this is going to be nick cave and the bad seeds and this uh is titled your funeral my trial we know how to party, don't we?
There you go, some cheerful pop. That was Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, and that's the uh, track titled Your Funeral, My Trial, that came from the album with the same title, released in 1986. A fine year for music. Anyway, the reason for playing that was because it featured the one and only Barry Adamson on bass. And this week's special guest, yes, you've guessed it, is going to be Barry, because he's also released a compilation anthology from 1978 to 2018 titled Memento More that's just been uh, released and is now out there on the streets. So Christmas just around the corner. What a perfect time to buy that anthology for the one you love or the one that you certainly want to put some time and thought into what to buy them. Anyway, this is going to be the first part of my interview with Barry, where I began by asking him, as we'd had a long chat before this, uh, about life and all that kind of stuff, about the uh, reason for bringing together this compilation and sort of sorting out your archives and your attic. We're obsessed with attics when you get to a certain age. Anyway, Barry, take it away. I think somebody pretty much said to me, why don't you sort out your attic? And I was like, what? What's wrong with it? You know? And uh, they said it would be good, a good opportunity now because, by the way, you know, you've been making music for 40 years. And I, and I was like, have I? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like complete denial of still being a teenager and thinking, no, 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 I've only been doing it for a few weeks. <laughs> and then I started, and then it started to become an emotional journey because, of course, the memories of putting the whole things together and actually, you know, having those moments where you, you'd forgotten. Yes. What certain things were and uh, how they were put together, but then remembering them you know, almost like, you know, startingly, like, you know, like it was almost like you were startled by the ideas of, of stuff going on that your brain was working in a certain way and all this sort of stuff. But then I realized I also had a job to do, which was to present a collection of, uh, of music for people that, you know, some who knew, knew, you know, of course, know the work, but some who might not know at all. Yeah. So how, so I so I thought that was quite challenging, and, and I quite like that sort of t- the idea of taking them on a journey, yes. and uh, you know a little sort of thrill ride of my own sort of making. So I still, rather than going like oh and then this one came next and then that one came, you know, it was a bit like sort of work it out in that way. So it's it's got a bit of a bit of a thrill. And did it's it, going through. And was it a project that you would sort of wake up in the middle of the night and thinking, no, I've got to do it this way, or I've got to change those tracks around or just got to wake up thinking god i can't believe i did that because i've got no memory of it uh no well it was quite i was quite detached it was scarily detached in a way and it was only when i sat down and listened to the whole i mean you know i i kind of used it like that i have a sort of template always that i sort of seem to rely on and i can't really explain what it is it's it's like a way of like getting through certain things and the way things should to me anyway fit together and hopefully will fit together and make sense so i do that quite quite detached you know almost like sort of like a, pro- a producer you know goes okay that you do that there and you do that there. okay that's mm, you want to take away a little bit of that or painter you know you want to take a little, a little bit of that blue there put, put a bit of red, a bit of yellow yeah a bit of ochre there okay that's good that's good right okay next frame so i'm doing it very sort of like i'm sure there's a word i'm looking for here <laughs> perhaps you Perhaps you could provide it, but you know, and I, so I do that, and then when it's done, I kind of step back, and then I get sort of whacked by it, mm-hmm. and hopefully that's a that's a good sort of uh, a reference point for for how somebody else might receive it. I don't know. Yes. Um. So 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 that's what happened, and it was only when I listened to the test pressings on vinyl that I went completely in on that sort of like, oh my god, you know. 
this sort of brings a tear to the eye. <laughs> that sort of thing. Yes. Yeah. Well, I suppose yes, that happens with um, finishing a project after sort of. Yeah. But but this is kind of a bit more than just a, yeah, no, a, yeah. a project because it's kind of a life's work and exactly. Yeah. And, and you're obviously hoping that it's not the you know the end. To, to, no, no. To, uh, quote and Jim I, Morrison. I, I think that's uh, that's a nice segue into the hummingbird track. Yes. Because I felt if I put something in there that's now, then I'm not done. <laughs> I'm not done, and I am sort of. Of course, I'm always working on new things, but um, it's it was that that was quite good as well. It wasn't like a kind of oh right then should we should we just like put a line under everything and stop? Yes, and it was like very much no no. This is like okay, wow, forty years. That's pretty amazing, and yeah, I'm still happening. You know, I think got some good stuff to put out got some good things to say so some good angles on art you know and all that sort of stuff so yeah let's throw in something like that you know yeah because because going back to to you know your musical journey i mean because i always remember because one of the people i've always thought was amazing was lemmy from motorhead and his bass playing (laughs) and his his... funny you should say that because i've been (laughs) no i don't know it's just weird i've been seeing like a lot of stuff about lemmy recently and uh, I, I used to, when I was about 14, I used to go around on holidays from sort of like jukebox to jukebox and just play Hawkwind all the time. And like, you know, and, listen, and it's his vocal, you know, and just his sort of presence in music was just really quite remarkable. But anyway, sorry. Yes, well, I, I, I suppose I, he, he often talked about when he got the gig for um, Hawkwind hmm. um, because he'd been in someone like something Vickers, wasn't he, in the 60s playing no, rhythm guitar. Remember. And, right. and saying he wasn't very good, and then he went for this mm-hmm. audition, and uh, the bass player hadn't turned up, but he'd left his bass Street player to... there, so he just got kind of picked it up and stole the guy's gig, so to speak. So Correct. then he became part of Hawkwind until he got kicked out, and then formed Motorhead. But obviously, mm-hmm. your bass playing period as well—you didn't—you didn't start off as a bass player, sort of learning, you, you know, the your, your sort of chops, no, so to speak. No, I, I see what you mean exactly. No, no, I really, I, I kind of did that thing of. Um, drifting a little bit like I was really obsessed with drums when I was a kid and it was like so I was like a pots and pans kind of kid and then I carried around a sort of brochure for premiere drum kit when I was about 12 and my parents just said like no way there's no way you're having it you know and I went, it was like this black sparkle yes. um, premiere drum kit which I now have actually um but um and there was no way I was getting it so uh, I kind of like you know I didn't and then I tried a little bit, a bit of guitar, and I, and I couldn't do it immediately. <laughs> I think that's what it was. I couldn't sort of, like, you know, I had to, what do you mean, practice? You know, it was one of those. Yes. Then when punk came along, and I, and I had this incredible you know, moment where a friend gave me a bass, you know, um, what, that, that was changed everything because, you know, I had two strings. I brought the next the other two the next day, saw the advert for magazine and joined within, the, and then joined the day after, Yes, you know. And it wasn't about like practice because punk gave you license to just play, you know, just do whatever. So you weren't restricted by the idea that you have to learn something. And it felt quite natural as well. I think that was the other thing. Drums, I kind of had it, you know, I could keep rhythm. I could do so, so, but all the other stuff was a bit like, fool, you have to be really good to do that. And then the guitar was like completely like, whoa, you have to be really good to do that. The bass, you do have to be really good to do that. And suddenly I found something I was really good at. So I, I kind of stumbled on it. If, if that guy hadn't given me the bass with the two strings on it, I don't know what would be what would be happening really right now. Yes, and did and did met, the... you know I just left college like straight away and gave up the idea of becoming an architect, and um, was in, you know I was in a band like pretty much the next week. And it's interesting because in the last five years, I think five years, a lot of people have said, look, you know, forget, you know, trying to play the guitar, you have to go to evening classes. It takes a long Mm. time. Then you worry that you're going to have to do 100,000 hours, you know, to quote that thing. Whereas a lot of people have picked up playing the ukulele. and um, That's true, isn't it? The big sort of resurgence. And that that just means that people... I blame Frank Skinner, but... Yes, this is true, actually. Mm -hmm. But that gives people that ability to quickly play. exactly. And so I was wondering, did the two strings on the bass just make it a lot easier for you to say, look, I'll just get these two and then I'll buy the next two strings, then I'm away, that the the stabilisers are off? Not really. It was was like, oh, shit... (laughs) I need to get two more strings to make this work. And and then I think there was something quite magical that happened. I, you know, all, there's all these little factors, like the fact that I slept in a, a wooden bed 
with a wooden head, you know, uh, head, what do you call it? A bed head headstead. You know? uh, and I could lean the neck of the guitar and then the whole bed became an amplifier because it would, it would sort of vibrate the wood. So it go, you could hit, you could hear it. And then the fact that I was just sort of able to play some things and the fact that I was kind of willing to stay up all night, which is what I did. And then the fact that I got there and he showed me the light pulls out of me, which was basically the baseline that I made up was just one note. Um, mm. It all, all of these factors are really strange. They're really, and I still find them quite sort of mystical, you know, <laughs> like uh, it could have been, he could have played something else. And I would have gone, what the hell do I do now? You know, I don't, but it all, it all sort of, it all sort of just fell into place really quite easily. Yes. But the, t- the I think the punk thing was gave me the permission, like the ukulele, you know, uprising. Uh, I think that's what gave me permission. Two strings or four, you know. I think that's what it was. And I found my niche quite quickly. I think yeah. it was. And that's the first part of my interview with Barry Adamson who is now a solo artist and done lots of soundtracks, but obviously in the early days was, was a member of Magazine and also Nick Cave and The Bad Seeds. Anyway, this is David Eastall, The C86 Show. If you want to contact me, we always love all your messages. You can get uh, you can get to me, via, not literally, via Facebook or Twitter. Just go to at C86 Show. I will be there. Keep them kind of uh, constructive and positive. Otherwise, just hit delete and go and see a therapist because they'll sort it all out. Anyway, I think we'll play another song which features the one and only Barry on bass this is going to be my favourite magazine track this is Because You're Frightened I know, I'm so predictable
And that's titled Because You're Frightened, and that's the magazine again. I know, twice in one show. And that was from their third, I do believe, their third studio album titled The Correct Use of Soap. That was produced by the one and only Martin Hannett. Yes, he of Joy Division and New Order fame. Anyway, this is David Eastall, The C86 Show. This week's special guest, Barry Adamson. This is going to be the second part of the interview where I'd been talking about punk, the Sex Pistols, and then mentioning that um, after Barry being in a magazine, then most people would have probably given up music. But no, he went on to be part of Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. And um, I was just mentioning playing or working with quite um, creative and extreme people. This was Barry's answer. Barry, take it away. Yeah, I do, actually. And I kind of wouldn't want it any other way, really. Um, you know, I, I think you're, I think it's more sort of like the extremities of the characters and the art that they make. I think that's what sort of like attracted me to them. And it's almost like I kind of take a, I take half a kind of scholarly role and half a sort of like I can bring this to the table and then sort of sort of come away from that with a sort of a better picture of how art and music and life works you know it's the same if I like you know rather arrogantly I said I'm going to do film music now and somebody said to me oh, yeah, what, what films are you going to go do I said I don't know but I'd like to work with um, maybe I don't know David Lynch Quentin Tarantino um, you know, uh, Danny Boyle. The big ones. <laughs> All the big ones. And then, you know, I did. And it was, like, really strange. Like, people said, how did that happen? I said, I don't know. I don't know if it's like that thing of almost willing something to happen, but that was the stuff I was interested in. And I think I do have this sort of thing. I've always believed it, that, like, you do attract what you really are kind of crazy about. You know, you think this, this is... Oh. You know, this is just fantastic. You know, and it, some some of it comes your way in a in a in some way. You know, whether it be an influence or whether it be actually working with the person. You know, like that's what's happened to me, I, I, and I feel quite fortunate yes. in that way that I've been able to sort of glean from those characters as well and bring something hopefully to their table as well. Yeah, and and it's interesting because because having been you know obsessed you know, with David Bowie and my, you know, my first single and first album with, you know, Bowie's, and then, which was really lucky, it could have been, you know, Sweet or Gary Glitter, but mm -hmm. it wasn't, mm -hmm. so hurrah for that. So it was David Bowie, and, and you know, and having had that first love, you know, one keeps with him all the way through, you know, mm. one's life. And, and yeah, it's yeah. kind of been amazing, you know, and following each album coming out and sort of mm. knowing it's coming, getting it, being mm -hmm. a bit sometimes, you know, like, yes, mm -hmm. or oh dear, that's a bit tricky, or mm -hmm. oh dear, that's not even very good. But sure. anyway, I stuck with him you know it was like a very good yeah. marriage and but, but but what was interesting was that um having looked at him you know so much and realized that he moved on so quickly almost from yeah. one idea it's to amazing. the next which was quite unbelievable you quite know especially just look at his 70s output and then actually his yeah. 80s and 90s it, it was just this constant ability to mm. digest all these ideas mm -hmm. and influences and then make and something them in his own so. yes absolutely so you've I had know. a very you've had a very similar um well, you know you've you've had a very similar kind of career in that way of mm. of kind of working with lots of different people producing and and recording and making music so mm. is it something that you are also kind of constantly absorbing and then sort of thinking right i'm now going to do do this next piece of work not consciously not sort of like uh as a as a kind of agenda in any way i think that one of the things i'm sort of uh I guess quite pleased about because I think I think for you know an artist it, it, when things are you, you do get inspiration organically and you're not sort of like you know you're not sort of forcing a thing that's when it really comes out I mean you could just tell for example that like Bowie's like moved to America and his his obsession with America and his obsession with songwriting and his obsession with everything America you know and 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 you listen to young Americans and the, what he's absorbed and what he puts out as his own sort of take on it is just like unbelievable. And I think that's almost like he probably didn't even go, right, what I'll do now. He was probably just taken by it, you know? Yeah. And I think I get sort of taken along like for the, the ride and then find myself doing it. Um, 
you know, and, and sometimes it's like about making a decision about whether you, you do want to do this, what seems to be happening. But I don't know. It's it's very weird. I mean, it's sometimes it's in hindsight, you kind of go like, oh, yeah, I did sort of make that happen. Cause that's, and that's kind of where I wanted to go anyway. I was being influenced by this. I was being influenced by the birthday party. I thought it was the next thing that was really going to make a difference in the world of music. And, and, and I, the fact that I was suddenly in Australia and dating Nick Cave's cousin, I don't know if, if that was, you know, and then, hit, and then her saying to me, well, do you want to meet my cousin Nick? And I was like, so I said, well, uh, he's got this band, The Birthday Party. And she played me uh, Mr. Clarinet. And I just, that was it. I was going, I was, you know, <clears throat> This this is what this is what's happening. It's like an art movement. This is what's happening now. Yes. And I, you know, I want to be involved. I want to bring my whatever I've got to the table. Exactly like the way I was influenced by the early days of punk or Buzzcocks, you know, or uh, you know, the Clash, the Sex Pistols, and and then <clears throat> and then the same with film. Really, you know, this is God. These people are making this this stuff. It's just great, you know. And then uh, for some reason, that sort of brought it. To me, I don't, I don't mean to sound arrogant about that at all. I mean, I mean, I feel like I've tried to, you know, work sort of quite hard in where I kind of stand in all that as well. Yes. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think there's an organic thing that's happened throughout my life, which, you know, then I look back on it and sort of see that, you know, and I forget. I've got to be honest with you, uh, you know, I, I forget about a lot of it. I, I, you know, I take it for granted. Someone said to me last night, I, I was just. I was, like maybe a kind of a group of like newish friends, I suppose. What, and they go, so what you, I said, oh, well, I produce a little bit and I do this, you know, and I make music and I do this sort of thing. And the whole thing came about was because they were discussing writing a short story and they all had like, you know, uh, degrees in literature and, uh, you know, uh, English language de- degrees. And I hadn't. And I, I, was, I was going, well, there's this great book called, you know, uh, the war, the war of art, as opposed to the art of war, and uh, and it's about resistance. And uh, it says, you know, it's it's kind of leading line is resistance is fertile, and it's uh, and it you know these these you know there's two people listening to me going oh yeah, yeah. so do you? I said well no I said no not really I said well, I did actually write a short story, and they went because they were saying oh I'm so blocked and I've kept kept these notes and I've got these journals and all that but I just can't be oh I just can't you know just can't commit to doing anything and they and they said oh yeah what happened to it i said well it won the prize for best best noir short story in this uh, competition in italy and i had to go out there and meet these mafia guys and pick up three grand and they were like what and now, as i was saying it i was kind of like what you know and, <laughs> yes. and just last week i was saying to someone oh you know I, I should maybe i should go to uni and finish off what i started and da 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 and I think life has given me these opportunities, you know, to sit in a master class with David Lynch. Yes. And David Lynch going, that's working really well. Now look at their eyes. And I'm going, and then change the chords a bit. And it's like, wow, I get it. Yeah. I'm connecting. You know, so um, it's, I feel like it's, it has been a, a kind of a, a unplanned organic thing. Yes. Uh, and I feel really quite fortunate in that sense. And that's the second part of my interview with Barry Adamson talking about his solo work and soundtracks and working with people like David Lynch. And like I said, he's got a new compilation that's come out, anthology from 1978 to 2018, titled Memento More, worth tracking down. And I'm going to play the opening track to that collection titled The Man with the Golden Arm. Stay tuned. We've got more quality chat coming right up.
I know, some cool jazz. That is titled The Man with the Golden Arm by Barry Adamson. And that is also the opening track to the new anthology, which is covering 40 years, 1978 to 2018. Yes, check out my mouse. The collection is titled Memento More, and I think it's come out on Moot Records. I might be wrong, I might be right. Who knows? Check it out. Anyway, it's a double album. What it is, if it's vinyl, probably. Um, But it's really good, so do uh, check it out, and um, it will change your life. But this is going to be the third part of my interview with Barry, where we were talking about the Beat Generation, Jazz, Jack Kerouac all those kind of groovy cats as you do Charlie Parker and uh, the influence of that particular genre decade vibe that might have had an influence on his music and this was Barry's answer Barry take it away I think it developed a bit with age but I was, it was also I think the the, the gateway uh, to all things noir was was a bit of uh, you know uh, sort of beat poetry really and and just the sort of subterranean world and everything that that sort of evoked you know whether that be um just this idea of, of like you know the, the brightest lights cast the darkest shadows and 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 therefore what's going on there and the bongo beat and the you know and yes. the spoken word and the and i just found it fantastic you know and then if you could do it in french so much better you know and, <laughs> and just that whole thing but i actually think that was around my teens i was kind of obsessed with french culture around my teens what you know i like to go to paris and like meet french girls was just this greatest thing going and we, we used to live in this house with these other kids and we there was these alley cats that used to jump over the wall and one was called mingus one was called bird the other one was called train <laughs> and the other <laughs> one was called monk and we used to live like you know and i had this double bass and I just used, I couldn't play it. I just do boom, boom, boom. You know, and everyone, and we used to think we were these like cool cats and stuff. Then go off to the hacienda, yes. which was a different world again. So, but it, uh, but then that cultivated a sort of interest for me in all things noir, and I'm and I'm still kind of I still keep an eye on that, you know, because it's it's just something about this the beautiful loser and uh, all those aspects of. Uh, of the, uh, uh, I guess, uh, you know, again, a, a kind of another art movement, if you like, that I, yes. that I think is compelling. You know. Well, I think the emotionally romantic uh, melancholia is probably the best combination. Yeah. But talking yeah. of, of soundtracks and, and the 80s and a bit of David Lynch, but I always remember the soundtrack to um, Betty Blue being particularly ah. influential in 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 um, my life, I suppose. Yeah, but, me, but me it, too. But it was, it was one of those ones, and then it sort of uh, ended up going towards... Is it Eric Sarty as well? Yeah, sort of. yeah, exactly. All that, yeah. all that kind of uh, all that music. world, yeah. Yes, all that world. So I was it, obsessed with all that as well. Exactly. You know. um, <laughs> yes, it was hard not to really. And then we, yeah, and then yeah. we watched Diva as well, and every, everything was kind yeah. of drinking, you know, coffee from yeah. big bowls and trying to be, you yeah. know, like um, big bowl, yeah. <laughs> and and she turned cigarettes and going like Jesus, these are strong, but. Um, no, they stink. But yes. Hey. Well, it was quite an interesting period because on one level it was, you know, that sort of red wedge, you know, the anti-poll tax. Oh, no, anti-poll tax <laughs> yeah, was a bit later. But <clears throat> but there was the rock against racism. Mm. Um, There's yes, all that going on. Red wedge. And then on this other mm-hmm. side was the arty cinemas with, you know, people mm-hmm. like there was um, Mike Lee and films like Meantime yeah, and, and films like great, that. Yeah. And then you had the Scarlet French. All Yes. The French, yep. And and obviously, you know, going back to when you were working with David Lynch and he said, look in your eyes, I always remember those kind of amazing landscapes. The flip side of that, where I kind of saw another kind of self-soothe, if you like, is what use a modern, modern, <laughs> a modernism, um, was in film music and uh, sort of compilations of uh, people like Bernard Herrmann and Quincy Jones and... Uh, uh, Morricone, John Barry, uh, and all that became a sort of like, uh, and, it, and then of course something modern like Rykuda's slide guitar score for Paris, Texas would yes. be a, another never off, you know, like you say, Betty Blue, um, you know, but that would be amazing. That would be a soundtrack that was never off as well. <laughs> you know. And what would you kind of, you know, having this experience and having dealt with the music industry, you know, mm. what would you, what would your sort of top kind of, I would sometimes used to say, you know, what would you say to your 18-year-old self? But then sometimes it's a bit confusing. Do you mean back then or now? But mm. I just wondered what your kind of key points that you think, God, they, they would be five or three very good bullet points that one one's learned from, from all these kind of experiences. 
That's quite difficult. Um, I tend to sort of, you know, keep a door open to move forward. I, I can't sort of wrap up quite a sort of summation. Um, there was a tricky time, and I and I've hit sort of tricky spots, but I always remember the the Winston Churchill idea that if you're going through hell, keep going. And uh, sure enough, that sort of got me through to the other side. And then you kind of like, there's some great stuff that you pick up as well. Like Bernard Herrmann would win, you know, awards for sort of thing. And then say, well, you know, it doesn't really mean that much because the next day I'm just going to get up at eight o'clock in the morning, sit at the piano and try and write something, you know, or there's like, I don't know, I've got sort of golden moments and sort of golden memories, you know, there is a Davy Bowie one where I'm in the middle of playing the passenger and uh, with Iggy Pop, I turn around to turn the amp up and Davy Bowie's leaning on my amp, looking at my shoes. <laughs> and then I come off stage and it's like, do you want to meet David? And I just went, no, because it would destroy everything I thought, I think. Um, I didn't want him made flesh, you know. Um, I wanted him in this sort of influential, mentory dream world of kind of influence, you know, constant influence. And uh, so maybe that's like, you know, don't, I don't know what, what the what the the correct phrase would be about that, you know, something about not, you know, something about your, meeting your idols or, or whatever. Like and just, you know, I, I've always liked just maintained a sort of like quiet, get your head down, do the work, you know. And uh, I'd say that to my 18-year-old self: just get your head down and do the work. Yes. You know, don't give, don't get sort of bowled over by this idea of you, of you are, or you want to be, or compare yourself to others. You know, so that just leads to a sort of point of you know despair and desperation. Don't worry about it. You know, um, it'd be, I guess it'd be kind of like slightly faux spiritual stuff like that but that comes with age and a bit of bit of experience and wisdom and knowledge but you know well it's interesting because i suppose the two characters who i think have been amazing in music was one was david bow and the other one, one was levy and they were both the same age and whenever whenever they were asked you know who were their main influences mm. they both say little richard and, and it's obviously... weird isn't it <laughs> i know they had this rock and roll thing it was like very early's rock and roll as well, and I'd be like, "Of course, that's a generation thing as well." Absolutely, yes. But I, I you know, it, but you can kind of hear some. I can hear why sometimes I catch myself hearing a little Richard and think, "Jesus Christ, that guy's out there." Yes. You know what he's doing in with the piano and his voice and everything else. And that it's was quite amazing. It certainly was. And there you go. When uh, David Bowie or Lemmy ever sort of mentioned their most influential artists, it was always Little Richard. Anyway, that is the last part of my interview with Barry Adamson. A huge thank you for giving me the time. Before the end of the show, I will give you some more detail about the uh, anthology and also how to get in touch. But I think we'll play another track that features Barry on bass. This is going to be taken from the Nick Cave album Kicking Against the Pricks. This is titled By the Time I Get to Phoenix. By the time I get to Phoenix She'll be rising And she'll find that note That I left hanging on the door And she'll laugh when she reads the part that says I'm leaving Cause I've left that girl so many times before And by the time I get to Albuquerque She'll be working And she'll take off time 
just to give me a call. And she'll hear that phone keep right on ringing and ringing on the wall. Yeah, oh, that's all. And by the time I make Oklahoma, she'll be sleeping. She'll turn softly in her sleep and call my name out low. Didn't know another track taken from the Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds album Kicking Against the Pricks. That was titled By the Time I Got to Phoenix, which was written by the one and only Jimmy Webb. Yes, Jimmy Webb, the famous. Anyway, that sadly is the end of the show. I know, sad. Um, But this has been David Eastall, the C86 show. If you want to contact me, you can via Facebook or Twitter. Just go to at C86 show. I will be there. It's always delightful to hear from you, as long as it's kind of uh, positive, groovy and all that kind of cuddly stuff. Um, But next week I'll have more, another special guest, I'm sure, because I've got a huge back catalogue. But a big thank you to Barry Adamson for giving me the time for that interview. Um, Yes, like I said, he's got an anthology that's come out. um, So go and check that out. But this is going to be another track that's taken from it. This is titled Sweet Misery. Have a great week.
close enough It may be going cheap today I ain't so real And all the girls say Come on, child, can I be the first? Oh, you make us so hot We feel we're gonna burst Yeah. 